I love uh, the idea of the, the hero's journey and um, framing walking inside of yourself and into your questions through that lens because it, it it's like such a positive, uh, empowering construct um, to say, like, I'm choosing to do this. Isn't that brave? happy second to last day of 2020. This is our 13th episode of the Hidden World podcast. It is also our final episode of season one. I am so proud of the conversations that exist in the world because of this podcast. And I am so grateful to the hundreds of you who listen each week. I wish I knew all of your names, faces, and stories. I really do. I also wish I could get some more feedback from each of you around where you'd like to see this audio show go in season two. I've already recorded about six interviews for that season, but we are going to take a little time off from editing and publishing those while I do some reflecting about where we've been and where we might be going. If you have been particularly encouraged or enriched by these episodes week after week, Or if you have a strong desire to hear more on a certain theme that's been presented thus far, it would mean a great deal to me to hear about that. So if that is something you'd be willing to share with me, there are now three ways you can do that. One, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. These are so helpful for a number of reasons, and I really value each of them. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram, if you're on there, at... Whitney is writing, like W-R-I-T-I-N-G. Or three, you can email me now at thehiddenworldpodcast at gmail.com. I promise to read everything that lands in any one of those three virtual locations. And thank you in advance for taking the time to do that, if you do. Okay, for our final conversation of season one, I would like to introduce my beautiful friend, Dr. Anna Roth. Anna is a psychologist, a yoga teacher, and a wise woman. She is here today to talk to us about how heroic it is to do our own inner work. We talk a lot about an archetypal construct called the hero's journey and apply that construct to the work of therapy and personal healing. But we also talk about how this year, 2020, with all of the adversity and tragedy it has brought into each of our lives, has also called us into this archetypal hero's journey in another vital and urgent way. Anna is a healer and a gift to the world. I know that each of you will be blessed by her words and her ideas that she shares with us here today. Welcome to this week's episode of The Hidden World. Out of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. You put it on speaker view so I don't have to see myself. <laughs> God, that's a key feature, isn't it? Well, I just, it's always weird if like half of the screen is me. Uh huh. Like, what, what are you, what are you doing with your face right now? Why are you saying? 
<laughs> I know, and then you can't think. I burned myself with a curling iron. That's how long it's been since I've groomed myself. I forgot how to use it. <laughs> yeah, this is like unwashed, unbrushed hair. It's just mm -hmm. like where we're at. I, I have a couple yep. clients that have said to me recently, like, someday I'd like to tell you about the journey I've seen you go through in this pandemic. And I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? Interesting. <laughs> I think it's because at the beginning, I kind of tried to be professionally kept from the waist up at least. And now I'm like, hey. <laughs> uh-huh. I had yeah. to remind myself to take off a flannel pajama shirt once. <laughs> I sat and, uh, saw myself in the Zoom and was like, oh, oh. And before I admitted them, I like quick changed. You had a moment. I had I had a moment like that where I was like wearing a hoodie and I was like laying down on the couch. Like I was like, oh my God, get it together. Yeah, it's, there's, um. I don't know. There's something though to be said about being willing to admit that you're in this thing together. Absolutely. So um, maintaining a full veneer of professionalism, I don't think is really that helpful. Agreed. Um, and, and I think there has been some kind of intimacy. I, I make jokes a lot that I'm now trauma bonded to all my clients. <laughs> 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 I can see that I could totally see that I know I love I feel like I'm like now I'm on a first name basis with um my clients pets yep. or like their kids I'm like oh here's Hank coming in the screen you know I don't know it just it does it feels kind of kind of cool mm -hmm. um and also how, how much closer people's faces are mm -hmm. I never thought about that like how just in terms of like picking up affect and stuff I don't know so there's some benefits <laughs> I would okay. love for you to tell us all what the hero's journey is. So um, the hero's journey is something that, um, and I don't even know if I have like the best description of it, but something that Joseph Campbell uh, created to describe kind of the, the arc of a hero's experience in any kind of a journey or narrative. Oftentimes it's used to anal like analyze film, <laughs> or books, um, you know, that's kind of the, the trajectory that a character goes on. But what I really like about it is that it, of course, like art mirrors life and life mirrors art. And so it mirrors our own journey too, as people and humans transforming and healing. So Joseph Campbell popularized the hero myth pattern. He didn't create it. Um, he was, oh. he was influenced by Carl Jung's analytic psychology. Oh. Mm -hmm. And Campbell, yeah, and Campbell used um, the monomyth to deconstruct and compare religions. Really? Yeah, and this is where he kind of um, ascertained that the hero's journey was an archetype at the core of um, the story of most religious figures like Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad. And, and then he also saw this in a lot of like 
even uh, modern myths like Star Wars, you can see it in Harry Potter. Um, actually, you can see it everywhere. You can see it in Moana, you can, any of the epic um, stories, myths, fairy tales, um, and religious like monomyths have this same set of steps and themes guiding each of them, which according to Jung and according to Campbell, then meant like this is, this is something we wanna pay attention to because it's a guiding principle in the human psyche if it shows up in all of our stories and myths. So why don't you then tell me what that does mean to you, what it's looked like for you? Mm -hmm. um, so how I kind of came to think more about this uh, is a way of, um, as it applies to therapy and as it applies to personal development work is I was kind of reflecting back on my own journey and the journey that I've walked through with so many clients over the last almost 15 years and just feeling like it, it, our evolution and our healing really does follow those steps. If you suit, if you zoom out, but what I really like about it is the whole frame, the idea that, um, actively engaging with your own journey is heroic mm. and the way that mental health I, I i if i do a ted talk it's going to be that like mental health and therapy needs a rebrand mm. because the way i believe that many people the association people have is like what's wrong with me so what am i what are they going to tell me is is deeply wrong with me and they're not totally wrong because the you know dsm and the paradigm for which we are taught is to look for kind of like aberration or to look for what is abnormal rather than what is actually working completely as it should given all these different factors. And so I love uh, the idea of the, the hero's journey and um, framing walking inside of yourself and into your questions through that lens because it, it it's like such a positive, uh, empowering construct um, to say like, I'm choosing to do this, isn't that brave? rather than like, there's something wrong with me, I'm going to go hide in this waiting room that hopefully no one sees me because I'm, there's something wrong with me when really we're all, we're all in some version of this, this journey. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's just make that known. It's so interesting to hear you frame things this way, especially about wanting to rebrand psychotherapy and mental health because, um, you know, you know, I was really reared in the analytic tradition of Carl Jung, and he was one of the grandfathers of psychology and psychotherapy. And, and yet he has, this is his whole method, what you're describing. The, his whole method, and he's one of the early um, influencers, he's one of the earliest practitioners of the craft. Um, where the idea of analysis is not about um, treating or reducing symptoms. He actually kind of thought of symptoms like a smoke signal from psyche. And you were supposed to follow the smoke 
down, down, down into the split off or neglected part or content. And then the heroic work, the hero's journey was then to be able to integrate, um, to integrate that content and become more whole and the symptoms would resolve themselves. I love that, a smoke signal. Mm -hmm. It's interesting and I'm realizing as we're talking that part of what informs the way that I see this is having a um, a business background. So before I went into, to get my PhD in psychology, I was in marketing, public relations um, and the advertising. And so I think a lot about like, yeah, there's all these really good reasons why uh, we have the theories that we do, or, you know, I went to a, a very research focused university. We have so many, you know, so many studies, but it's like, if it doesn't translate to the consumer, if it, if it isn't accessible to a, the consumer in a way that they can, they can reach it, then what good is it, mm. you know? And so even thinking about like, okay, well, maybe we kind of started out, out in the right, right place, you know, with, with Jung. But if that feels so inaccessible, or if that feels like too scary, too unknown, um, then you know, can how do we reach people with it? How do we package it in a way that um, it feels safe and mm-hmm. exciting? I think I think about the kind of parallel where I believe that yoga is the gateway to spirituality, mm-hmm. um, and that sometimes people start with yoga to get like you know, <laughs> spelt <laughs> or like good arms and then they like make contact with the divine mm-hmm. but if that if that's how it was packed if that's how it was presented be like whoa 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 no 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 oh totally. so yeah so I, I kind of think about therapy like that too right like how do you what's the gateway drug you know or what's the door you can open for people that allows um them to feel like it's a safe and um, gentle, worthwhile thing to do this really deep introspective work. Yeah, but that, that is really why I love the word heroic mm. because her- heroic to me means like you supersede, you go past your own ability, like you tap into something way higher, way bigger than what you, you're, you know, what, what you feel like you can do. Like, it just, it has to be heroic. This thing is so mm. um, scary or challenging. Like, I, you know, there's something really mm-hmm. elevated about that. That's not even the right word. But if I'm telling myself, like, if I'm going to be a heroic in my life, um, that's very different from, like, to me, the feeling of that, that or the energy of that, than, like, I'm going to work, I'm going to work on myself or I'm going to f- fix myself. Like, the energy is just totally different. Wow. So um, I remember when I was a few years into analysis, I, I was talking to my old analyst, Barb, about how um, my husband really wanted to do things like go to Patagonia and climb around. I don't even know what you do in Patagonia or like do a marathon in the Sahara. Like he's really this stuff really fascinates him or he wants to like run Pike's Peak and then run back down. And 
um, learn how to free climb. And I was saying, you know, oh, like I could never have the courage or I, that stuff absolutely terrifies me. And she said, well, what do you think you're doing here? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, don't, don't you think you're exploring your own Patagonia? Like, isn't that what you're doing? And it was quite an encounter for me to reframe the work of going inward and really being with this sort of undiscovered, uncharted ter inner territory, inner landscape with all of its like hidden jaguars in the jungle or whatever. I don't know what's in Patagonia, but, um, and you know, steep crevices and weird temperatures and to, to see that as brave mm -hmm. um, really helped me stay in the process when it got really hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes me think about trauma work too and how having the map in advance, knowing what might be coming, what, what to look for, what some anchor points are is very, uh, yeah, orienting and safe. And, um, and then it's like, okay, I'm on the right track. And, you know, the, the cool thing and the hard thing about the second wave and where we are in the pandemic is that, um, we've all, you know, the first step I think is like the call. So you get some kind of call what stands out to me is um, we all, and throughout our life, we get calls to a deeper place. We get calls to uh, work on our wounds. We get calls to evolve. And sometimes they're really, they're persistent, right? Like the little messages we can't, we don't want to hear, but we just keep hearing them. Um, sometimes we refuse the call. Other times we answer it. I feel like collectively we are all there's all there's been this giant call like this giant call to explore these deeper places or do um sit with things that have been haven't been touched whether it's you know collectively uh in terms of racism or individually the things that people are sitting with inside of themselves when there's not a trillion trillion distractions mm. um and so i think that on some level we all were kind of thrust into into a call and if we can see it that way we can start to move forward and kind of move into the flow of that that river of that process rather than just saying you know refusing the call and um and not you know really using this time and, and milling this time for what i think has a lot of spiritual gold which every hardship and hard time have oh as you were talking, I just realized why I've done okay during this crisis. And I don't mean great, I just mean okay. Because, because of this archetypal reality is conscious within me. I know what it feels like to get called into something deeper and so immediately in March, I, I don't think I articulated this to myself, but I was like, okay, we've been called. I've been called. What's here for me in this pain? 
who's going to help me? <laughs> I need a mentor. Cutting <laughs> <laughs> out a call for mentors. Yeah. We entered therapy. I'd been kind of on, um, well, I hadn't found someone I, I wanted to work with since my last analyst. Um, but then when the pandemic rolled through, I was like, okay, well, you need to sort that out and you need to find someone you can work with because yeah. you've been called, we've all been called and a lot of shit's gonna come up mm -hmm. because that's a big part of the call is that you meet your shadow material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you've got a couple choices when it comes to those kind of encounters. You can either deal with them face forwards or ask backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said about it being conscious, mm. how, how different that is. And I know that there's been times in my life with um, things I've worked on within myself where I had no clue what was happening. And that was a whole other level of uh, stress mm -hmm. and, and anxiety feeling like I, you're on a ship and you're blind and you're like, I, am I making, am I going in the right direction? This is, this is horrible abandoned ship. Mm. So I, I think we, we need that kind of orienting of like, this is what's to come and this is, you're right on track, but it's not going to feel good. Mm -mm. Feeling good is not the indicator that you're moving in the right direction. Mm. Um, so. Ooh, and that, yeah, that needs a rebranding too that the point of therapy is to feel good. Mm -mm. Uh, my best work in therapy, like on my end in my own therapy has always been extremely painful. It, ha it has the most rewards. Mm -hmm. And it's held well by right. the therapist in the container. So I feel safe and nurtured and supported. But don't you think you had to go through a journey to get to that other side? Absolutely. It's not like you meet the mentor, the mentor gives you the elixir and like, like, okay, go back and be happy. I mean, I think that's what people want because that's how the medical model kind of works, mm -hmm. even though it doesn't. Even though um, so even just some education about what, you know, what therapy can do and what the process is like and, um, but yeah, we're meeting a lot of, we're meeting a lot of uh, shadows and yeah, everything stuff that, right now, every single thing that I treasure the most about my current life exists because I was willing to look at the most regressive, yucky places in myself. Really willing to be with and stay with the stuff that's hard to admit, and and it was in the making it conscious and developing a conscious relationship with that stuff that then allowed me to. Um, I'm not going to say live beyond it because that's not it. It's um gave me back like my um like the agency of choice 
or something. Because when that stuff is unconscious, it just like directs the show unconsciously. And when it is conscious, then you get to go, oh, okay, this stuff is coming up. I don't want that to be the place from which I make decisions or interpret information. So I'm going to caretake this, this affect, this emotion, and these beliefs that are coming up. And, and still stay connected to sort of like, you know, ego consciousness or uh, which is like how maybe Jungians would define it or like wise mind, which is how like a lot of behavioral therapists might define it um, or true. Yeah, self. right, right. True self. Yeah, capital S self and IS, IFS. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So Jung also talks mm-hmm. about capital S as self, um, although I think it's different. Capital S self for Jung is sort of um, like God within. I think, I think um, uh, oh God, Dr. Schwartz would say the same. Oh, okay. He was there's, a, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, syn- spiritual synergy, which, which I, I dig. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, that, we don't have to go down this road, but I think that um, one of the key things that has allowed me actually to like strangely feel really like more peaceful almost um, during this time is is faith, like faith and like really kind of coming to a, a place of uh, like my, me trying to assert my will on my life. Mm-hmm. Um, over and over and then just being like like having the I just feel like the universe is like playing uncle with me and is like are you ready (laughs) are you gonna finally surrender like are you like really you're gonna keep like doing this Mm -hmm. and I think I finally you know I finally just said uncle um Mm -hmm. and so now I don't I just don't think I have any control and I'm not gonna try to I'm not gonna try (laughs) which I just I don't know uh, sometimes it feels strange to talk about that as a psychologist um, to talk about faith, but like it, it's, it just is what sustains me. It's what, um, what allows me to let, let go deeply. I don't think it's weird at all. Um, actually, Jung said that, um, oh, I'm going to misquote this, but something to the effect of, um, all psychological problems are religious problems. He didn't mean organized dogmatic religion. Um, He meant, um, well, I don't know exactly what he meant, but what what I understand about him is that he thought that religions were trying to orient themselves to the archetype of wholeness and his psychology was interested exclusively in wholeness Mm. and um and i i define faith differently than i did when i was like 12 or 16 or 21 Mm. or 25 for that matter um but I agree with you that it is a transpersonal sensibility 
that ha has offered me and continues to offer me the grace and the peace um, and the capacity to surrender. And it doesn't mean we don't feel all the, all the time. All the time. That's part yeah. of wholeness. Yeah, because part of what you're accepting and surrendering to is some hard, difficult, even really ugly psychological material. Mm -hmm. I can be so judgmental, you know? Mm -hmm. Despite like more than a decade of practice with non-judgment towards self and others, it's like this still lives in me and it is fucking ferocious sometimes. <laughs> towards myself mm -hmm. and toward, toward others. So in this pandemic, one of the like contents of my own psyche that I've had to really come face to face with that is, that is ugly is how judgmental I can be about people's choices and behavior. Mm -hmm. And why, like, what does that give me? Does it make me feel better about myself? Yeah, it does. It's very self-righteous. Is there also some thoughtfulness in it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is it really a, a smart, safe thing to do to go to a restaurant inside with 10 of your friends? No. <laughs> mm -hmm. Does that potentially harm or, or, or kill somebody down that chain of potential infection? Yeah, it does. So, you know, when you can be with something honestly, rather than like constantly try to vindicate yourself. You can see that there isn't just, it's not all good and it's not all bad. There's some wisdom and then there's some like projection and defensiveness and, you know, inferiority complex and, you know, fear of missing out and whatever, right? A whole mix. A whole mix. Yeah, I, uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking about um, one, a woman who I consider a mentor. Um, her name's Ann Bradley, and she leads this group called Radical Aliveness, which is um, a somatic psychology approach. I just heard her in my head when you were saying that, saying, like, we are gigantic beings. Mm -hmm. Like, we're just gigantic. We have capacity and range for so much expression and reaction and feeling and yet we are socialized to be about this big mm. you know and I'm, I'm holding up my hand my thumb and my pointer finger together really close like we're not given any room and we're having these like really big things happen and yet the expectation is like you're supposed to be positive and smile and keep it together and still you know have the you know do all the things it's just like why why would that ever that just it's, it's, it's a gaslighting it doesn't even fit reality mm -hmm. um so yeah I don't know I just think letting ourselves have big reactions and expand and and contract is just it's part of that wholeness picture like you mentioned before yeah I had a group supervisor at the young institute once that was trying to explain how to work with 
um, what Jungians refer to as shadow material um, and then why. And the example she gave was, um, she was like, like, let's say you see a tiny baby kitten and you think, um, or you hear about a tiny baby kitten getting like abused. You think, I could never do that. She said, well, you could. Like the capacity to harm other creatures is in you. I'm sure you've like squashed a bug or, you know, trapped a mouse or <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it doesn't make you a bad person that you have the capacity to harm other creatures. And if you eat meat, like whatever, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's, it's your denial to yourself that you could never do anything harmful that actually sets you up to not tell yourself the truth when you are doing harmful things. Yeah. To, to other people or to yourself. Absolutely. And I always think about it like this. Um, fidelity in marriage is very important to me. Me, like to personally to me, I want to always be faithful. So I understand that the way that that's going to work out is if I can admit to myself that it's possible I could have an affair. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Mm -hmm. So if it's possible, I'm going to, I'm going to notice if something like flickers on the, you know, from the underside of my consciousness mm -hmm. and then I can immediately go like, oh, whoa, what's happening here? Mm -hmm. and relate to it rather than ignore it and maybe act it out yeah it, it reminds me of what you said earlier about um how you've done relatively well during this time because it was it was an in conscious awareness yeah conscious active awareness and that kind of sounds similar to me with that example if if we kind of own own our shadow um then it's a lot easier to work with it. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, it's pretty, it's like the humble approach, right? Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't, why wouldn't we have one? <laughs> we all have, we all have it. We all have blind spots. Yeah. You know, I, I was curious, like what you would say. So something I'm hearing um, kind of from my clients and different followers and things is like, just like, what do I do? Hmm what do I, how do I, what do I do now? How do I manage now? Um, and I'm just so, I'm just curious what you're like, if you had to distill that mm. to down to one thing or a couple things, like, and it feels like it's baked into something that we've said so far. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say? I don't presume to think what works for me works for everybody. Yeah. Um, but I, I can talk about what's been working for me. Okay. And maybe you could then do the same. Sure. Okay. Um, a, a big part of it, it has been telling the truth. Telling the truth about what's going on. 
telling myself the truth about, you know, truly how bad things are. Telling myself the truth about mm -hmm. how I feel about that. Um, telling myself the truth about what I need day to day in order to, you know, be okay. Um, and a part of telling myself the truth about what I need is also about understanding that part of what I need is I need to be of service to others. That has been a huge part of my own resilience. And um, at first I felt like it was a little bit manic. <laughs> like, um, and now it feels more like a part of my daily and weekly uh, routine. Um, I've had really low expectations, really, really low expectations of myself, of my family, of my community. I don't mean cynical. I mean, like, we're all in a collective and personal trauma. And so what do I know about what happens when people are being actively traumatized? We do not behave well. Can I be gracious with myself? Can I be gracious with other people? And that's work. That's an on, that's very, that's not easy all the time. Um, and then because I've, thank God, had a practice for years of sitting with discomfort and believing that discomfort yields um, wisdom, grace, and frankly, transcendence. When I really hit uncomfortable patches psychologically, I, 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 I relate to them intimately. I carve out space and time and even sometimes like set up like a little sacred mm -hmm. container of like candles and mm -hmm. movement and, uh, you know, intentions or <laughs> can sometimes be outside. Um, sometimes it's in my closet because that's the only place I can get a little me time. <laughs> but um, give myself the permission structure to drop into those feelings and be with them, look around, find out what's there. It's like my own little miniature hero's journey with every difficult emotion. And then like bring forth some kind of, almost always bring forth some kind of prize from the depths of that. And sometimes it's just for me, right? Like the, the wisdom or the boon that, that comes is just for me. And sometimes it's for me and everyone. Like I'm able to teach from that place or share from that place or work from that place or take care of my family from that place or tend to the neighbors from that place or, um, you know, create care packages or, hmm. yeah. So that's what I've been doing. I am not arguing with reality. That's one thing I'm not doing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not bargaining. Since March, I've been saying it might be like this for a year and a half. And that's helped too. Yeah. I have no expectation that things are gonna change soon. 
I think that would be depressing for a lot of people, but for me, like that, I think reality is medicinal. Mm. That's a quote. That's good. Not even fine. It's from a guy named Joseph Lee, but. Wow. Very good. All right. Yeah. Well, and what you said about how developing a relationship to discomfort and how pivotal that's been, that just like really, really resonated. Um, because yeah, we don't, we don't really get the tools for that, but if you have them like, oh man, what a gift, but there's, there's been a lot of discomfort. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Oh, what, have discomfort. Been, what have you been doing? Oh man. Well, let me just start out by saying I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, <laughs> I said this on my Instagram the other day that like you can have all the information and it still doesn't necessarily make any of it easier or make make it so that you like do the right thing, oh. quote unquote, right thing. For sure. Um, I I feel like I mobilized um, when it first hit and I was like really energized. I felt kind of this like call almost as a healer and a healthcare provider of, of, of sorts to like do my do my part step in and um so I felt super super energized and but <laughs> but um so I took on a lot of clients I saw lots of clients I started groups I um I, I will just say that I feel like I've been humbled I overestimated my capacity and I overrode my own basic needs and I totally burned out. Mm. So I don't, I don't, I'm not coming to you as like a success story of how to deal with pandemic, the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I think I did what many women do, which is just keep kicking the can down the road of, in terms of their own self care. Um, and then it, you know, at some point it just, uh, the, the bow breaks and you just can't do that anymore. So I'd like to say, you know, I learned that lesson by now, but clearly I had to learn it again. Um, so physically, I really felt the toll of this pandemic. I think spiritually, I've felt uh, really um, connected and solid. It's just been, you know, but it, again, just for like for me to brought up places where I still have to do work, over-functioning, caretaking, um, not listening to myself, not doing embodiment practices to feel my limits actually. So I don't know. I always feel relieved when, um, people I, you know, appreciate and who I think know some stuff say like that they screwed up yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. and not even screwed up, but like, I just, yeah, I just, I really, I really got to a point where I was like at my own breaking point, which I am also hearing from every single one of my clients yep. that they're at, a, they're, they're at a breaking point. And so um, for me, listening to that, actually listening to that and then making some sacrifices to make room for myself is uh, what I, what I got to a point of having to do. Yeah. So, That's so good. Um, so important to hear that. Um, because, you know, when I was talking about having low expectations and I really 
do mean for myself too. It's like, I just think offering ourselves the kindness to say, yeah, you don't, nobody prepared you for a pandemic. <laughs> like nothing in your life at the beginning of um, meeting with people virtually, when I feel like everyone was just like coming onto the Zoom screen in total shell shock, I started by saying like, I don't know what I'm doing. I did not have pandemic mental health training in graduate school. So I think that I should tell you that and not pretend that I've got answers. I do know how to work with trauma and I do know how to work with anxiety and stress and depression and despair and hopelessness and loneliness. like the, a lot of these emotions are, are in a wheelhouse of familiarity for me. Um, but, and so then similarly, when I, when you say I made a lot of mistakes, it's like, well, all I've really done is make mistakes. <laughs> um, I sometimes think that's like a given, um, which is actually a really like relieving way to approach a life. It's like, oh, it's just a series of mistakes. Yeah. It's just an endless series of unfolding mistakes all day, every day. That's not even the point. That's not even that interesting. <laughs> the point is that... Um, what, what counts is the, is, uh, like the reconciliation or the return or the recentering or, um, in therapy, we would call it like the repair after the rupture, you know, like, oh, I, I was kind of manic about and about overhelping in the beginning. Whoops. <laughs> okay. Like readjust, mm -hmm. say no more, raise your rates. You, you can't give away therapy for free without getting resentful. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, um, I will say that I, I do think this is a defense of mine. That's not perfect in any, well, no defenses are, but um, I have really limited who I share like intimate relationship with right now, because one of the ways that I deal with traumatic environments is to withdraw. Um, yep. And so I'm sure for some people that feels abandoning. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I have a hard time managing Um, when I'm trying to stabilize, I have a hard time managing um, relationships with people who are not also stabilizing. Yeah. Yeah. And who, I mean, it's like, who's stable, who's stabilized these days? Like, you know, I even think about social media um, as being for, for at different points, like one giant co-dysregulation <laughs> you know uh, yes I do know it's and a, that's yeah it's like a uh 
the picture I get of um that comes to mind is of um <laughs> like the chorus in the musical Beauty and the Beast when they're all like with pitchforks and fire and like fired sticks or whatever you call them and they're like kill the beast it's like that's <laughs> what it feels like on social media sometimes it's like mm-hmm. and it doesn't even matter who the scapegoat is sometimes like kill the beast is trump and sometimes kill the beast is i'm sure the democrats or you know kill the beast is whoever we're canceling that day yep yeah you know, it, it reminds me of another thing that really helped. It's, it's related, which is um, making my, seeing things through the lens of my nervous system mm. and polyvagal theory. Yes. Um, and that I now, I no longer think that I can um, direct and manage everything all the time. Like I now see what state I'm in and then I I do what I need to do in that state. I used to think I could just will my way or whatever, and regardless. And now I know that that's just not how the brain and nervous system works. So I feel like I've learned how to work with my system in this. Mm. And um, rather than like just totally not like being disconnected from it and then exacerbating and inflaming myself, which is what I've done most of my life. <laughs> so um, for, you know, to tie it into social media, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to tie it into social media, I have found that that sometimes can be a spike into mobilization for me. That mm-hmm. if I see something, you know, cause you can't control what images you're gonna see. There's something incredibly traumatic and sad all of a sudden, mm-hmm. or there's something that's, you know, like very fluffy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, I, I need to be in a ventral space or in a, my window to be able to engage with social media in a way that is good for me. And I think also in the way that I contribute the most, but that isn't, if I didn't have that language and that paradigm of the nervous system, I just wouldn't have even known. And I would just keep, just keep triggering and dysregulating myself yeah. um, and think, and then feeling bad about it. Like, why can't, you know, what's wrong with me, you know? Yes. So that's been a huge anchor and guide for me during this time. Can you break down polyvagal theory just a little bit? So uh, polyvagal theory in gist is um, a way of understanding how our nervous system shows up in the world and how it works with the inside of us. The very oldest place in our nervous system is called dorsal vagal. It's at the, um, the kind of the base of our, our, our spine or our nervous system. Um, and it looks like shutdown, freeze, collapse. So, you know, go up a little bit, mobilization is fight or flight. Um, It is the space where we feel like we're ready to, we're ready for action. It's an important space, but it's not a great space to live in. And the final one, and then I'll tie it together a little bit, is ventral vagal, which is our happy place for our nervous system. And when we're in that space, we feel calm, sexual, social, our, we have access to our executive function. We can think, decide, plan, predict, like we, everything is online. Mm. In those other two states of, um, of dorsal and immobilization, we, we don't have access to our like prefrontal cortex. Like we just don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. So we can't think, we can't plan, we can't decide. 
Um, and the other cool thing, what I think is cool is that we can't go from feeling shut down, which many people experience as depression. We can't go from depression to ventral or to our happy nervous system place without first going through the, the mobilization. So actually when we feel agitated and like, Ugh, it's like our, our nervous system is trying to like regulate itself. It's trying to like work its way back up mm-hmm. to regulation. So I just think that's cool. And there's yeah. so much uh, wis- wisdom and how it works. And we're always just trying to, to regulate um, at all times. And so when we know the signs to look for in ourselves, whether it's through our digestion, um, our heart rate, how much we can feel our body, how our at, if we're agitated or open, when we, when we look for our own signs and we know our own ladder is the frame they use, then we can, then we can work with ourselves rather than expecting things that we can't access, um, you know, biologically. Yeah, that's so good. You know, I just, I was remembering when you were talking that you and I met at a behavioral health agency where we, I think co, I think I was like sort of like your apprentice in a, um, a yoga therapy group, but I don't remember if you also participated with me in the anxiety, panic, and fear group. I think I did. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because one of the first times I really remember like putting like, you know, where the rubber met the road as far as paying attention to my own body system was when I was helping facilitate the uh, anxiety, panic, and fear group because I would come in there and then I'd sit down with like 20 to 30 highly anxious people that were vibrating basically with anxiety. And I feel like it would like slam me in the full in the face. Just the energy of that room was so tense. And, um, and I fairly quickly realized that I couldn't function as a facilitator of the group if I joined that energetic space, that I had to learn to do things in my own body, in my own system to soften, breathe, open, nurture, settle, in order to then essentially like open a doorway for other people to also walk through. And, and I started realizing like, these are the tools, like so, so many of the tools aren't about learning about anxiety or organizing your life in a way where you never get triggered. It was like, okay, uh-uh. everything you need to know is a practice, <laughs> you know, every every intervention we want to explore together is a physiological one. We, we are going to have to learn how to feel all the way into our bodies and, and nurture and nourish and soften and relax and soothe them from the inside using things like breath and movement and, or lack of movement and um, like the softening of the jaw and the back of the road. And I mean, like really these subtle, seemingly subtle shifts in how you hold yourself in space, but that actually allow 
this like polyvagal regulation. Yep. And when you were when you were talking about depression or immobilization, the freeze response being underneath this agitated or mobilized response. Um, I also th thought about how common it is when people are like kind of emerging from depression for them to feel a ton of shit. <laughs> agitated. Yeah, oh, no. like angry, uh -huh. sometimes rageful, just pissed, you know, or anxious or, um, or, or really grieved. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not like you move straight into Nope, no bypassing. No, you, you have to go through the shit that actually al like allowed or maybe caused the collapse into depression in the first place. You have to like come through all those feelings that got shut down because there weren't the right tools or mechanisms mm -hmm. there for you to, to deal or, or be with them. Absolutely. I love how Deb Dana talks about it because she, it's such, it's such a non-shaming approach. It's just our body is, is seeking safety and connection at all times. And when it doesn't have it, it does things to protect us. Like how beautiful is that? Mm. That we're, there's such inherent, we have so much inherent wisdom in our system that even without us knowing it does stuff to try to pr protect, I think both like our, our soul, um, but also just our body. I mean, if, once we start again, like have a different paradigm to look at it, you go, wow, like I'm pretty, I'm pretty amazing that my body is just knowing what to do um, given all this threat. But then the, I think the, the challenge becomes when, you know, we're taught we're supposed to dominate our body. We're supposed to only look a certain way. We're supposed to always feel energetic, um, you know, when we don't know how to work with it. And I think many people are pretty disembodied. And I know it's something that I really have to work at too. Um, and that's another, I think, important facet of this time. I want you to talk about that because when we were on the phone earlier and you mentioned how um, dysregulated your nervous system was when you were in Minneapolis, I think you gave like a perfect picture to me of what it looked like to actually honor the wisdom of your body. Would you mind sharing that? Sure. Um, so um, what I was saying before is that um, when I was living in Minneapolis, and now I, I recently moved to California a couple of weeks ago, um, but I was living across the street from a Minneapolis police station. And I, for about a period of four weeks or so after George Floyd was murdered, I had National Guard with machine guns visible from every window of my house. Um, at all times. So I'd be in session with people who are in trauma, looking out at a guy with a huge <laughs> machine gun. Um, and then there's also kind of constant sirens and protesting and rioting. Um, also being very close to a target, like a potential target. So was, there was barricades everywhere. There was barbed wire. Um, I know that I'm very privileged that this is one time I've had this experience of being that afraid for my physical safety. I know that's a privilege. Um, but it, it really, really affected me. Um, and I didn't sleep for months, probably six months well, because I couldn't get myself into a feeling of, of safety, which, because it made sense, like it wasn't safe. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's not the reason that I moved to California, but my move had been um, in the works for almost two years. But I've noticed since I'm just in a space of uh, physical safety, lots of nature, lots of quiet. Um, I, I'm, my system is in its happy place again. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the, I'm so grateful to have the par- the paradigm and the language for it because I didn't, I didn't feel ashamed. Ugh. Right. And like, I think as, um, as a mental health provider, sometimes, I mean, I, I don't think this anymore, but I know I have in the past where I'm supposed to be able to hack and figure things out. So I don't, you know, I, I don't get dysregulated and I no longer have that kind of like naive grandiosity. Like I know that if there's enough triggers and enough things in my environment, like I'm going to get dysregulated too. And so, um, yeah, not having the storyline, not having the shame, just seeing that like, Oh, there's wisdom and how my body is responding. I can't actually change my situation now. So how do I work with myself in this moment? I mean, it just was a game changer, Mm, total game changer. And that's something I teach too, because I just think it's so, it's so big, so empowering to, to know that there's nothing wrong with you Mm. when your um, system tries to bring you towards balance and safety. Mm. Wow. Damn. That's so critical. The, the, removing that shame story around what you feel mm-hmm. to me is the only way to, to start working with feelings. There's a teacher, Tara Brock, I'm sure you know her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard her say this a lot, but she talks about like the wisdom of not shooting the second arrow. And this metaphor, or it's a like a visual metaphor for her where like the first arrow is the difficult feeling or emotion or experience that comes up and it just kind of gets shot from wherever you know some unknowable and unnameable place within us or outside of us and lands in our arm and pins one arm against a wall and she said you know so much of us have been conditioned to like pick up and string and shoot a second arrow metaphorically and shoot ourselves for having experienced that feeling at all which then pins your other arm up against a wall and now you can't move but if you can learn to to not shoot that second arrow you've got range of motion to turn towards the pain of the first arrow and go okay what's going on here Mm -hmm. and how could I maybe deal with this effectively Yeah, that is so, I mean, that is so big. And that's one, one thing we can quote unquote control, right? One thing that we can work with is being, not being hard on ourselves for struggling when we get, we just keep getting, there's so many arrows. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is so good. Okay. In the interest of time, I'm going to ask you a question, a final question, which is just, is there one thing you wish everybody knew that we haven't covered here so far? Be willing to find out what's right with you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
because I think that that is what we find. Like we go through, you know, shadow and shame and all of these places, but what's on, on the other side is like, is just so much validation and so much evidence of what, what was, there was so much wisdom to whatever happened, whatever, however we reacted, however we managed it, given what we knew at the time. And there's just so much healing in that. And so if, I don't know, I guess that's just what I feel is just this kind of encouragement for someone, for people listening to just be willing to find out what's right. And I believe they'll find things that, so many things that are right with them that maybe they thought were wrong. What is the most healing thing you ever found out that about yourself that was right with you? Um, just that, you know, I think that everything that I have ever felt ashamed of was a, a was kind of brilliantly designed to protect my spirit mm. and my soul. Mm. Like, um, and it maybe you know, it had to, it had to go in pretty deep for a while. Mm. Um, but I mean, I now see it that way that like, there's just this, you know, I think of like a, how we have a flame. Um, mm. And yeah, like everything I've ever felt ashamed of was just some attempt to keep that flame lit. Wow. Uh, I can't talk about that without crying. <laughs> um, I think it's beautiful. So, Cause yeah. it, it's, your your tears are a signal that it's it's not just true but it also really has been so healing for you to to realize and know that yeah yeah but it just um so that that I mean that really does go to that idea of like what was right like it was right all along I mean there was all these labels for it and all these ways that I was kind of uh, told you know it's like that's not right or not okay or a diagnosis <laughs> but um I just you know after working it through long enough you go god that was a like good one <laughs> like <laughs> nice job like you protected you kept your spirit and your your soul and your heart intact and uh yeah I don't know so yeah. I think that that and that's something I've seen for my clients too to find the most healing the things they feel the most shame about usually have like the most wisdom in them Yes. Um, for them. And that's just kind of like a plot twist. And when, when you make that connection, you're like, it just, it's like, oh, so wonderful. Yeah. I concur. I like that you called it a plot twist because it does, it does reframe the whole story you have of yourself. Yep. Yeah. Mm, so good. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for having me. This was so beautiful. I hope it was um, life-giving enough for you and not draining. Oh, no, not at all. I love, I mean, I could just keep going. We could, I could just keep going. So it's, <laughs> I loved our, loved our conversation and I hope your listeners find it, find a gem or two in it. Yeah. I don't know how they couldn't. You've said so many things that have really meant a lot to me just, just right now today. Thank you to Anna and thank you to each of you for being here with me week after week, letting these wonderful, wise people walk us through all of these doorways into so many beautiful, important, 
hidden worlds. I look forward to being with all of you again sometime in 2021. Until then, I send my love. The Hidden World is produced by David Gomez. Our theme song is written by David Gomez. And I'm your host, Whitney Logan. Be good to yourselves and each other.